from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. So this is something where people don't need necessarily super expensive prescription drugs. The solution might be right out there. And yet, I feel like so much of what I read about long COVID is that we're just at a loss. We can't even deal with this. Has it been hard, even with publishing this paper, to just get the word out? Many people are going to find some degree of relief with simple things. It has to be done in studies, though, and studies are actually starting. I'm Sarah Fenske. Of all the mysteries surrounding COVID-19, long-haul COVID might be the most baffling. An estimated 45% of patients who get seriously ill end up dealing with long-term symptoms, including fatigue, shortness of breath, and difficulty concentrating. That's months after their infections are gone. Even more strange, 10% of people with mild cases end up with similar long-term problems. One of them was Larissa McPherson. The 43-year-old St. Louis resident is a pediatric speech pathologist. She's also the mother of two teenagers. She came down with COVID-19 before people were even being tested for it, February 28, 2020. She remembers that it was a Friday, and she was headed to Children's Hospital for a speech therapy symposium. My kids had had COVID about a week prior. They had brought it home from school. Um, I had them tested for flu, strep, everything. They had nothing other than a weird virus. And so they, you know, it ran its course and they went back to school. So that particular day I was headed to Children's Hospital and I started coughing in the car. And the first thing I thought of was, oh my goodness, people are going to think I'm sick. And I made no connection at that moment to what my kids had had a week prior. Now, the next day, Larissa McPherson ran a temperature of about 101. After that, she was fine. She had a lingering cough for a few weeks. Then it went away, and she didn't give it another thought until mid-April. That's when she started experiencing tinnitus. That struck her as a little odd. Well, then she gradually started to experience myriad complications that lasted throughout the summer. I had all kinds of issues with um, vertigo and dizziness and peripheral vision concerns. Um, I had heart rate issues. My heart rate would just spike out of nowhere. Um, I had difficulty with concentration and severe brain fog. You could have had a conversation with me, and I would have not known what you were even saying. Um, It was very scary. Nobody understood it. Um, I went to a number of medical professionals, and at that point, nobody understood anything about long-haul COVID. And so I kind of was told that's really strange, but we don't know what to tell you. And I just kind of dealt with it. Now, it wasn't until many months later that information about long COVID started coming out. At that point, Larissa McPherson started checking the boxes of what she'd experienced for months, and suddenly all those weird symptoms had a name. Even so, it didn't lead to relief. Scientists haven't just been mystified by the cause of long COVID. They're also mystified by how to treat it. But Larissa McPherson was in luck. One St. Louis physician thought long-haul COVID sounded familiar to his area of expertise, and he jumped into action to learn more. Now his research may prove pivotal in developing effective treatment for long COVID. It's already beginning to help Larissa. And he joins us today to tell us more. Dr. Leonard Weinstock is a leading gastroenterologist at Missouri Baptist Medical Center. Dr. Weinstock, welcome. 
Thank you, Sarah. Nice to join you. So as a gastroenterologist, you treat the liver and the GI tract. How did you end up putting COVID-19 at the top of your research agenda? Well, in 2016, I learned about a common disorder that's not well-known and rarely diagnosed, mast cell activation syndrome. And so I went down the rabbit hole, as we say, of studying this condition that affects many individuals, possibly 5 to 10% of Americans, and in one study, 17% of Germans, and realized uh, this was the answer for many of my patients who had weird sets of symptoms, multiple symptoms, who just weren't getting better with routine therapy. Hmm. So this is before COVID-19 was even a glimmer in anyone's eye. Can you tell us a bit about mast cell activation syndrome? What was this thing that you almost stumbled onto? Yes. Well, a patient called me um, telling me about her terrible symptoms of postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome and mast cell activation syndrome and wanted to get some of the expertise I have on low-dose naltrexone for body pain. And when she said, I have MCAS, or mast cell activation syndrome, I said, tell me about that. And so that began a uh, deep dive, and we actually wrote her case up because I came up with a uh, different set of treatments for that, and it uh, took her from being disabled with 40 different symptoms to being an extremely active individual who I actually do research with because she's a biostatistician. Hmm. So this condition of mast cell activation syndrome can um, start usually in uh, childhood, often as an infant gets worse as a teenager, and then gets worse in adulthood. And it's a multisystemic disorder with inflammatory and allergic phenomenon. So so give me an example, like what's going on if somebody is suffering from this, and and how does that tie into what's happening inside their body? Right. So, um, you know, fatigue, fevers, brain fog, just like Larissa said, Patients can get tinnitus. I remember talking to a 22-year-old woman who said all her life she had tinnitus, ringing in the ears. Uh, It's common to get allergic symptoms with conjunctivitis and runny nose, stuffy nose, sinus problems. Um, Headaches and migraines are common with neurological in addition to the anxiety, depression, and brain fog that people can get from neuroinflammatory disorders in uh, this condition where the mast cells, which is one of our inflammatory cells, has lost its controller gene. It has a mutation uh, generally at birth or near birth, um, and this problem can get worse with viral infections and mold infections and exposures as well. So when you talk about mast cells, and I want to make clear for people listening, these aren't mast cells. They're mast, almost like the mast of a ship. Yeah. Right. And so these are almost, they treat things like allergens that aren't allergens. Is is that a fair way to say it? Well, it it is the captain of the immune system. It tells the other cells when to come in, let's say to an infection or burn or injury, when those three things happen, um, then the mast cells wake up, come into that area, they 
are activated from the bone marrow, they circulate, and then go to those places. They will secrete many different chemicals that can increase um, uh, the development of blood vessels. They can be pro-inflammatory or anti-inflammatory, depending on what's going on. They can bring in other cells um, to help do the job of repairing or fighting infection. And then they, they can shut down the inflammatory pathway when the job is done. But when there's been a mutation or it's been activated in a bad way, um, such as mold or viral infection, it can t have a mind of its own and cause more damage than it should be doing. And so these mast cells are incredibly important, but for somebody who's got this mast cell activation syndrome, it sounds like things are just kind of going haywire. It is. And, um, and so in 2020, we were talking about this in our research group and uh, realized that so many of the symptoms that are experienced by patients with acute COVID-19 and long COVID were shared by mast cell activation syndrome patients. And so before we get into where your research unfolded from that, I, I just find myself stuck on a question. If this is so pervasive and you were seeing so many people suffering from unexplained things that, that go back to this syndrome, how was the info not more pervasive at that point, that this was something that, that you learned right away in medical school? Well, it wasn't taught in medical school, and it's still not taught in medical school. Um, Medical school, uh, you've got you know pathology, pharmacology, physiology. They're all separate subjects. You got uh, pediatrics, internal medicine, etc. And there's no um, multi-systemic disorder study. And mm. this is a condition that was first diagnosed in 2006. It was first discovered by one of my associates in this research that we did, Dr. Moldering's in Germany, and he found the genetic causes for the mast cell activation syndrome. Um, so it's, number one, 2007, that's a relatively, quote, new disease, if you will. Mm -hmm. Number two, if they're not taught, if a subject is not taught in medical school, it's unusual for a doctor to learn about it now, theologists know about it, um, and yet it's not highly talked about to any other specialty. And as far as uh, this dysautonomia that um, Larissa had with the tachycardia, that could be a form of um, postural orthostatic tachycardia or just dysautonomia, and that's really only taught to the cardiologists and some neurologists. So this kind all. of falls through the cracks. It's so multidisciplinary that not everybody who, who should be able to recognize it does. Absolutely. And so that gets us to long COVID, which, frankly, it seems like that had a lot of the same problems. We kept hearing about all these, you know, mysterious ailments, and there were some people even saying, oh, this must be all in these people's heads. Sounds like from what you've learned, no, this absolutely makes sense. This looks just like a mast cell activation syndrome. Right, and we'll go into that a little bit. I mean, long COVID started uh, in um, May 2020 with groups of patients on the Internet, support groups. I had COVID. All these things are happening. What's going on? 
and they were called in the United States long hauler, haulers. Um, these long haulers, you know, helped develop um, support groups, although it was just sharing information. In England, um, a group of physicians who were infected by patients or infected just in general uh, called themselves the long COVID group, and they put out some very good articles describing their condition, and then that took off in terms of researchers, and there are at least 20 um, long COVID studies that detail the symptoms of long COVID. We're talking today to Dr. Leonard Weinstock. He's a gastroenterologist at Missouri Baptist Medical Center, and his study of long-haul COVID patients was recently published in the International Journal of Infectious Diseases. We need to take a quick break, but we'll be back shortly to continue this conversation, learn about what he found and what that means for people suffering from long COVID. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to conservation and careful management of the state's forests to make them more resilient and better habitats for wildlife. Choosewood.com. And now back to our conversation. We're talking today about long COVID. My guest is Dr. Leonard Weinstock. He's a gastroenterologist at Missouri Baptist Medical Center um, who picked up fairly early on in the pandemic that the, the descriptions of long COVID seem to match something that he had been studying, which is mast cell activation syndrome. So Dr. Weinstock, after you made this connection, you ended up doing some, some research into this. What did your research look at and what did you find? Yeah. Um, so first we had the theory article that went through all the science, uh, linking up how there were mast cell chemicals that were released during acute and chronic uh, COVID infection and inflammation and uh, making connections of what the likely origin was um, and how the mast cells were pulled into the inflammatory pathways of a viral infection in general and in COVID. Um, so that took me to say, well, how likely is it that mast cell patients will develop COVID and be more severely infected or get more uh, prominent long COVID problems? Or uh, is it not related? Um, and is it just um, actually mast cell activation that gives symptoms. So what we did was we got uh, long haulers from their internet groups to fill out a questionnaire that had been validated by Dr. Moulderings, who discovered MCAS, and uh, they filled out this questionnaire of typical mast cell symptoms, so 50 different symptoms that mast cell patients can have, and then we compared it to general control group, um, which were actually doctors, nurses, technicians um, at the hospital and in my office. And then we compared them to uh, 80 of my mast cell activation syndrome patients. And so everybody took the survey, the questionnaire, uh, 
And what happened was uh, that if a long COVID patient remembered what it was like, what their life was like before COVID, it was exactly the same as the general population controls. You know, a number of patients are going to have um, allergies, like seasonal allergies. And so... Just typical kind of off. stuff. Typical things like headaches or whatnot. So those things we just queried and uh, learned, you know, who was likely to be affected and to what degree. And so prior to COVID, they had the same symptoms as regular people, okay? They didn't seem to be predisposed to develop anything based on their baseline characteristics. But after COVID, their symptoms were exactly like the long, like the mast cell activation syndrome patients to the same severity. And um, so there was over 40 different symptoms that were uh, really changed from baseline to long COVID. And the most severe was weakness, brain fog, fatigue, rapid heart rate, just like Larissa had, uh, muscle pain, shortness of breath, migraines, nerve pain, chest pain, joint pain, and then uh, numerous others. And then uh, tinnitus was common as well, and GI symptoms also common. And um, nerve sensitivity uh, was really, you know, something that makes me think, well, it could be due to uh, immune disturbance or a neurological disorder uh, relating to the mast cells getting near nerve tissue, which is actually pretty common in mast cell activation syndrome. So this this research finding that, you know, all these symptoms were the same, does that suggest to you that long COVID patients are suffering from mast cell activation syndrome, that, that COVID triggered this for them? Or is it more just that these symptoms are so similar that what treats mast cell activation syndrome would also work for long COVID? I think it, you're right on track just about. I would say that uh, because mast cell activation syndrome is more of a mutation of the gene, controller gene, and we don't have that data to say, but I would say that the symptoms of long COVID match up to long to mast cell activation and can be treated with the same drugs. And as far as studies that are published, there's really only one study uh, looking at treatment for mast cell activation syndrome and, uh, sorry, for long COVID, and that's using antihistamines. Uh, so there was a study um, in England where they used uh, antihistamine 1 and antihistamine 2, and that would be something like uh, Claritin um, and um, Pepsid um, are the trade names. And these drugs were given twice a day to patients with long COVID and compared to patients with long COVID who did not take any medicine for uh, a month. And there was a significant improvement in the uh, symptoms um, just within a month of treatment. And uh, this uh, is really something that I've seen in our practice and colleagues have seen um, in our study group including um, one doctor who's from uh, University of Texas in San Antonio, and 
She has 500 patients in a long COVID clinic, and they use mast cell medications with great success. Mm-hmm. So uh, patient populations um, at uh, risk um, for mast cell activation syndrome can give us lessons for the long COVID patients. So one of the patients who's now benefiting from this, this is Larissa McPherson. Uh, She said she first connected with you a year and a half after her bout with COVID. She said this about where she was at that time. Fast forward to the summer of 2021, when the tinnitus was so bad I could not sleep. And um, most of the other issues had resolved themselves by that point. I'm still having some vision concerns. Um, But I was so frustrated and upset and um, just worried about what everything, you know, everything that was happening. Um, I put out kind of a a message on Facebook just out of the blue. And um, a friend of mine who happened to be in the medical community um, saw it and got me in contact with Dr. Weinstock. And that's how I ended up as a patient of his. And Larissa said she may well have residual issues for the rest of her life, including some hearing loss, but she said she's seen significant improvement since she started working with you. It is quite possible that I will end up with a hearing aid um, in the future. And so what that will mean for my career, I don't know what that will look like, you know, 5, 10, 15 years down the road. And again, Larissa McPherson, she's a speech pathologist who lives in St. Louis, so that's a real occupational hazard there to to hear her hearing affected by this. She's dealt with long COVID for nearly two years, but she says she's seeing real improvement. And so, uh, Dr. Weinstock, this was by using the same kind of medications you would use for mast cell activation syndrome, being able to use that to somebody with long COVID. It can can halt the progress? Yes. Um, So Larissa did make a significant improvement in in her other symptoms. And she told me she had 30% less tinnitus, which has helped her to be able to go to sleep. So that's Mm -hmm. something. And I was actually thinking about her this morning, thinking, uh, what else could we do? And um, we're going to explore some things um, in terms of possible neuropathy and see if treating neuropathy could help the tinnitus. So I've got to call into her and to discuss this further. So when it comes to patients like Larissa, you know, she's still grappling with this, even though these treatments have made a difference. I understand part of what you're trying to highlight here is that the kind of treatments that work for mast cell activation syndrome, this is something where if you can get in on that earlier, it can really help. Is, is that right? That, that's correct. So, and the other thing is that many patients can, you know, look into the literature and I will at some point put a a recent uh, lecture I gave at Missouri Baptist to go over how mast cell activation syndrome is treated. In fact, that many of the treatments are over the counter. Uh, So, um, antihistamines, obviously, H1, H2 blockers are over the counter. there are um, chemicals uh, that are food-based um, that are put into pills that are um, things that decrease mast cell activation, and that would be the flavonoids, uh, quercetin and leucin. Um, and then there are vitamins C and D that could be helpful. And then there are other medications that can be used, um, including low-dose naltrexone, which is something that I find to be pretty helpful. 
especially since it can help with the brain fog problem, uh, especially the ones that I see in my clinic who have mast cell activation syndrome. So this is something where people don't need necessarily super expensive prescription drugs. The solution might be right out there. And yet, I feel like so much of what I read about long COVID is that we're just at a loss. We can't even deal with this. Has it been hard, even with publishing this paper, to just get the word out, to make other physicians aware of this, to make people suffering from this aware there might be something that could help you? Yeah, um, well, I think that the lecture was helpful. It has to be done in studies, though, and studies are actually starting. Um, University of Michigan has an enrolling study in low-dose naltrexone and a nutraceutical, and the uh, there are places that are looking at other drugs that are used for mast cell, um, uh, including Montelukast or Singulair, and there's a lot of literature uh, used for that. And also, um, it's possible that people will realize that there are studies that have been done uh, and published on mast cell drugs in acute COVID. And um, they're not being commonly used, um, but uh, famotidine um, has been used and has reduced the uh, severity of uh, problems with the lungs during acute COVID. And I think people are using that a little bit more frequently. And so what you're thinking of, well, this drug normally just reduces acid, actually has other effects and it is something to do with inflammation and reducing the effect of histamine that can come from activated mast cells. Hmm. Well, this all feels so promising, and I know for Larissa McPherson, it has been. She said other than the tinnitus and these hearing difficulties, her life has finally started to return to normal. And she told us she thinks there's hope for people who are struggling with similar issues. I'd just like to let people out there know that um, if they are dealing with symptoms similar to mine, that they're not alone that there are medical professionals out there that can help them and are, um, are understanding and will listen and hear them and, you know, uh, respect their wishes and um, help them to navigate, you know, navigate the long-term consequences of this disease. Um, and also, I, you know, just so people know that this, if it hasn't happened to you, that doesn't mean that it might not happen to somebody that you love. Um, this is, uh, I think, an illness that's going to have long-term consequences for society, and we have to consider what, you know, what it's going to mean down the road. And that is Larissa McPherson with some words to leave us with there. Uh, Dr. Leonard Weinstock, it's been so great learning about this, and, and I really appreciate you getting the word out about this. What's the one thought you'd want to leave us with here today? Well, I think there is a good resource in town. Uh, the post-COVID clinic at Washington University and BJC 996-8103. And hopefully um, they'll start looking into um, treatment for mast cell symptoms and perhaps uh, start studies. Starting studies are really important to say what is the validity of it. So. Um, you know for sure what you're taking is sensible. Um, but I think that um, many people are going to find some degree of relief with simple things. And once the virus is truly out of the body, which is the hope, um, then the body's immune system will get back to normal. I love the sound of that. Get back to normal. Dr. Leonard Weinstock, thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure.
This episode was produced by Sarah Fenske and Evie Hemphill with audio engineering and podcast design by Aaron Dorr. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. If you learned something new from today's episode, consider leaving us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the easiest way to help people discover our show. We appreciate it. Thank you. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to sustainable and sound conservation of the state's forests, which support more than 41,000 Missouri jobs, resulting in a $10 billion industry. Choosewood.com.